How many want to hear what the Lord has to say to you? We are so glad to have all of our guests here today. Let's welcome all of our guests that's come to worship with us today. Amen. Samuel came this past week and said, Pastor, I want to be baptized. And I said, that's pretty awesome. We'll baptize you Sunday. And then uh, I think it was Thursday or Friday during the prayer meeting, I walked back in the back, which is my custom around behind the organ, and I sat down in the chair that that uh, back there in that corner and just kind of got my feet settled under me, and I realized I was... My feet were in water, and I thought, well, something's not right. There's water back here in the prayer room, although I know the Lord wants to flood this place. I went into the hallway back there, and there's water everywhere. I went into the, into the baptistry area, and there's water everywhere, and the pump was spewing water, and uh, so we shut all that down, drained the baptistry tank, and uh, Brother Mike Donnelly and some of them were looking at it and said, we'll have, there's a valve that's messed up. We're going to have to replace that and we'll get, a, uh, get all that done Monday. And so I told Matthew today, I said, man, the baptistry's tore up. And he said, well, is there any way we can uh, baptize, baptize Samuel anyway? I said, well, it's going to be cold. He said, it don't matter. He said, Amen. So I said, man, fill her up as far as we can get it. If it leaks a little bit, that's fine. We're going to bury him in Jesus' name today. Amen. For the remission of his sins. Praise God. Thank God. What a great day it is. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him it's a great day to be in the house of the Lord. Praise the Lord. Pray for me today as I preach the word. I feel like I've got a word from the Lord for somebody today. And I believe the Lord wants to speak to us. Amen. First Samuel chapter 1. And we'll begin with verse 1. Amen. First Samuel chapter 1, verse 1. Now there was a certain man of Ramathian Zophim of Mount Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, and the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, and the son of Zuf. Huh. I've had enough of Zuf, I'll tell you that. We're not going to preach about Zuf today, but we're going to preach about Elkanah. He had two wives. I wouldn't recommend that. We're not going to preach about verse 2 either. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah and the name of the other Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Verse 3, and this man went up out of his city yearly. He was a dedicated man. Everybody say he was a dedicated man. He was required to go yearly. He went every year. He went just as he was commanded. Thank God for those kind of men that are faithful. He went out of his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priest of the Lord, were there. Verse 4, And when the time was that Elkanah offered, he gave to Peninnah his wife and to all her sons and to her daughters portions. But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah but the Lord had shut up her womb. And her adversary also provoked her sore for to make her fret. Why? Because the Lord had shut up her womb. Let's pray together today in the hearing of the word. Let's pray that God would have his way. Lord, I thank you for your word. I praise you for this opportunity we have to be here today. I ask you would move in a mighty way, touch every heart, let your word, which is quick and powerful, let it go forth, Lord, anointed, let it fall in anointed hearts, prepared hearts, in Jesus' name, Lord, we bring down every thought and every high thing, 
Right now, we submit our minds to you, Lord. We submit our carnal minds, our worldly wisdom unto you, and we ask you to give us your word today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, in Jesus' name. God bless you. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, I'm going to help the preacher today. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated in the name of the Lord. In the opening statement of 1 Samuel 1, says there was a man of Ramathian Zophim. Now that's a strange name, strange place, but that's where Elkanah and his two wives and children were from. The Bible says that Elkanah made his annual trip to go to Shiloh to offer sacrifices unto the Lord. This was customary, but this man, it went further than custom. This man was faithful in what he knew to do. He didn't get tired of doing it. He just kept on and kept on. And every year it came time to go to the sanctuary, the house of God. Elkanah would get his family and he would go to Shiloh. He didn't have to. He came from a place, Ramathium Zophim, which means a blessed place. It means high place. In fact, when you study it a little deeper, it literally means a place dripping with honey. If what came from a place of blessing. I believe God is the source of the blessings in our lives. I believe we're all blessed because we know the Lord. I believe we're living in a blessed place. I believe I'm living in a place that's dripping with honey, praise God. In spite of how I really feel about it, when I get down to the bottom, I realize I'm blessed beyond measure. God has been good to me. Anybody feel that way today? God has really been good to you. Oh, yes, he has. Amen. I've said it many times. If you stop blessing me right now, he's got, he's blessed me so much. I owe him everything. I, I don't think there could be a Sunday I wouldn't praise him. Not because of what he's going to do, but because of what he has done. If he doesn't do anything else, he's blessed me. I'm, I'm living where there's honey dripping. That's just the way it is. Regardless of the turmoil in our lives, we're in a high place. He brought us out of darkness into marvelous light. I'm in a blessed place. I, and for that reason, I should show forth the praises of him who called me out of that low place to this place that's dripping with honey. I'm blessed. Elkanah was blessed. His wives were blessed. The Bible says Hannah was blessed. Yet... She had no children. She was the wife of a good man living in a honey house. But she had no children. And in the time frame we're looking at in 1 Samuel, the time frame we're studying here in the context, childlessness was a very difficult situation to endure. It was profoundly difficult. It's profoundly difficult even today. Mother's Day, holding babies in your arms, going to the hospital and watching a friend hold their baby for the first time, seeing expectant mothers in Walmart, seeing a couple pushing a stroller down the aisle in the grocery store. <laughs> Gives new meaning when you're barren, when you're sitting in Applebee's and a parent screaming at their kid and cussing and carrying on. You say in your own heart, I'm not going to treat my child that way. If I'm ever blessed to have one, uh-oh, uh it's getting quiet already and I'm not past the introduction. But I hurry. Children are a blessing. It's not a quick, uh, a trick question, Brother Rob. <laughs> Children are a blessing. Well, I got four or five that believe that. Children are a blessing. Every child ought to hear their dad say, Amen. Amen. That's right. Every 
child ought to hear their mother say, Amen, preacher. My kids are a blessing. In spite of what you told them yesterday about how lazy they were and worthless they were, your child is a blessing. Amen. Now, in the day in which we live, millennials are choosing not to have children, and that, I guess that they consider that a choice. But to many who desire, and there are some we even personally know, that are not able to have children. There's a grief that is associated with that. And there's a type of grief that Hannah must have felt that parallels with what people today feel who are incapable of having children. A grief that's not accepted or that is silent because uh, they refer to it as disenfranchised grief, which means it's... recognize they they don't see it as a loss you're in And you say, you know what, I got to get a hold of myself because there's worse things than not having a child. You know, somebody's got it worse than I do. Could it be that you reach a point where you become satisfied and maybe not satisfied, but at least content? Maybe you reach a point where you just accept your condition and you just say, this is the way it is. Can I get a witness? I'm preaching to somebody today. You're right there. You've struggled. You've wept. You've grieved. You've begged God. You've said things. You've, you've read the Bible to figure out what you could do different. And sometimes you get to a point where you just say, well, this is just the way it is. And you just go through it. You just keep on grieving, but you realize nothing's going to change. My condition hasn't gotten any better. I've prayed. I've asked. I've walked to the front. They've laid hands on me. I've called for the elders, and nothing's changed. So you just settle in to comfort. Oh, I'm preaching to somebody today. You just go to church and you sing what they sing and you raise your hand when you feel it's appropriate but you can go through the motions without any emotion because you've just accepted the fact that the, the desire of your heart is attainable for others but it's not attainable for you. There's something that's impossible. You've grieved long enough over it. It's not going to get any better and maybe this is where Hannah finds herself. The Bible says she had no children. But I want to tell you, things begin to change when the other wife has kids. You'll put up with it as long as somebody else is in the same dilemma. <laughs> but when that other wife becomes fertile myrtle. Yeah. And when all of a sudden kids that are a blessing and to be cherished when all of a sudden it seems like her quiver is getting full of them and she's happy and Elkanah's happy and all of a sudden there's other happy voices and there's other laughing children and look at him as he walks and look at him as he as he uh, it grows and all of a sudden the grief comes back and a stirring begins to happen in Hannah she says you know what I I think I could have put up with it as long as I had a life group of childlessness mothers. But when everybody starts getting blessed and everybody starts getting a miracle, I'm upset about that. Can I get a witness? The Bible says 
that Elkanah had two wives. The listing of the wives suggests that Hannah was his first wife. Amen. His first wife. Elkanah is likely another biblical example of an individual whose first wife was initially incapable of having children. Uh, Yeah, there's a list of them. There's a life group of those guys who their wife whom they loved couldn't have any kids, so they took a second wife in order to do what the first wife couldn't do. Anybody hearing what I'm saying? And the Bible says they came to the temple to sacrifice, and it was a yearly journey. And after that sacrifice, they would have a lavish meal, and part of the meat that they offered in the sacrifice would be returned to the sacrificer, and that meat would be spread out among the family. And so it was that Elkanah, at time for the family feast, and everybody sitting around the family reunion table, it was a one a year occasion it was a happy time and the Bible says there's all of Peninnah her kids, her sons and her daughters and Elkanah gives portions to each wife in proportion to the number of their children so in other words Peninnah's got a big pile on her plate Because she's got a big long line of kids and Elkanah gives her a piled up plate and the NIV suggests that he gives Hannah a double portion. It says that he gave her a worthy portion. And many say, well, that means she got a double portion. But this may be an attempt to show that, that Elkanah was sensitive to her situation because the Bible says he loved her. But it's more likely the translation is that she got one portion in light of the cold reality that she had no children. The word worthy there means she got what she deserved. She she got a worthy portion as a single uh, wife. And she, in context, uh, it's, it's a stark reminder that I don't have a table full of kids. I don't know if Hannah gets to a point of desperation when, if her plate is piled twice as high as Peninnah's. <laughs> Come on now. I know God's blessed us and God has kept us and God has performed miracles in us. But I want to tell you, God wants to do greater things with us. God's got greater things for your life. Anybody hearing what I'm saying now? I got to say it. I got to tell somebody that's coming to CR every Friday night. I want to tell you, God's got greater things than you just being delivered from drugs. Come on, he's got, he's got a helping for you. He's got a blessing for you. He's got a, a future for you. Come on, give the Lord a good hand clap of praise. The Bible says she got a worthy portion. She got a worthy portion. It highlighted, it's highlighted a number of times in this passage that we read where Elkanah loved his wife, but she got her worthy portion. It says a number of times, Hannah had no children. The strict translation says, for although Elkanah loved her, God had closed her womb. This phrase is repeated twice, verses 5 and 6. God had closed her her womb, her sterility made her uh, uh, vulnerable to be ridiculed. For the Bible says the other wife began to provoke her. It's bad enough going through the situation, but somebody else is being blessed and now they're flaunting it. (laughs) I think we ought to have the right attitude with our blessings. I don't want to ever feel the intimidation that I shouldn't praise the Lord. I shouldn't get out of my seat. I shouldn't run the aisles. I shouldn't dance and leap before the Lord. I don't want anybody shutting down my thanksgiving. And I don't want anybody to perceive that I'm trying to rub anything in. But when I come to the house of God, I'm here to praise Him. Come on. But I do think sometimes my joy ought to be a provocation for somebody. It shouldn't make you bitter. It should provoke you to say, wait a minute. If he can have that, then I can have that. Oh, no. 
No, if God can deliver that one, then I'm gonna expect him to deliver me. If he can feel that one with the Holy Ghost, then I believe he can feel me. Oh, come on, somebody clap your hands under the Lord. Oh, come on, somebody praise him. The other wife began to provoke her. It's twice mentioned that God closed her womb, yes. And it's also twice mentioned that her adversary provoked her. And that provocation was in order to ridicule her. Look at this. She doesn't have any children. The other wife starts having a bunch. And the other wife provokes her, ridicules her. Was, was this what the Lord had in mind when he closed up her womb? Well, the Bible says emphatically that this was, not, this was not a biological problem. This was not a physiological problem, although ultimately it, it was a physical. But God had shut her womb. How can God shut her womb and then stick her in a situation where the other person is provoking her? ridiculing her. It's bad enough to cry yourself to sleep at night and bear your own burden, but when somebody makes your burden heavier, I am, somebody comes to church and you've been praying for this or praying for that, and Brother Lester jumps up and starts running around the aisles and you think, oh God, I wish he'd sit down. That drives me crazy. Hey, I want to tell you something. God wants you provoked sometimes even when you don't like the provocation. God doesn't want to turn you off. He doesn't want you to get bitter, but he does want you to say, wait a minute, I'm, I'm going to the house of God and I'm, oh, I'm taking my petition to the right place. Oh, come on, somebody clap your hands under the Lord today. I, I'm, I'm hurrying. Why, why did God... You know, there's some songs that just lift your spirit. There's some songs you don't want to listen to when the Lord closed your wound up. Some songs you don't want to hear when you're upset about your condition. I don't know where it came from, but the Lord just dropped it in my spirit all of a sudden, out of nowhere. You remember that song? Why me, Lord? What have I ever done? Well, I know what he's saying. He's saying I'm blessed. But when you get started, it's like, man, I think that's about the most depressing. Why me, Lord? I'm worthless. I'm a loser. Why me, Lord? (laughs) Take it for what it's worth. So many times we think, well, you know, I'm unworthy, so I don't deserve. What? We find in 1 Samuel 1, we don't find the, the litany of all the times that Hannah just brushed her tears off, got her hair fixed, went out and went through her day. But the Bible does tell her when this other, tell us when this other woman started having kids, that something started burning in Hannah. She was a woman of faith. She is mentioned as going up to the Lord's house. Think of this. No other woman in the Old Testament is ever mentioned of going up to the Lord's house. She's the only woman shown making and fulfilling a vow to the Lord. She is also the only woman who specifically is said in the Old Testament to have prayed. Her prayer is among the longest recorded in the Old Testament. Her prayer includes the most recorded utterances of God's named by a woman in the entire Bible, 18. This was a holy woman, but now she is upset. The other wife is referred to as a rival. The Hebrew term suggests the other woman is a troubler. Uh, Turn to your neighbor and tell tell him now, hold on. As a result of the troubler, Hannah wept. Hannah wept. 
It was particularly difficult during the festival when the family meal is rewarded and Peninnah's blessings are piling up on her plate. And at the same time, everybody notices that Hannah still has no kids. How many times am I going to come to the house of God and get the same portion? How many times am I going to have an empty high chair beside me? And all of a sudden, Hannah has had enough. And the Bible says she loses her desire to participate. Oh, hallelujah. She loses her desire for the meat that is piled up on her plate. The Bible says she refuses to eat. And she says, I'm going back into the sanctuary. I have had enough. I don't know. The Bible says that Peninnah has sons and daughters. How many years has Hannah been satisfied in being barren? But at some point we find in 1 Samuel 1, she hits the wall and she says, I've had enough. I'm not taking this anymore. I refuse to live this way anymore. I refuse this defeat. I refuse this grief. I refuse this impossibility. Oh. Oh, yeah. Uh, I want to tell you right now some of the trouble in your life is not there because God wants to give you grief. No, some of the provocation in your life is not there because God's mad at you. No, he doesn't want you getting comfortable. That's why he's put a thorn in you. That's why he gave the other woman some kids. Why? Not because you'd get satisfied, but that so you would go to the house of God and say, I'm tired of this. I've got to have children. I've got to give birth to something. I've got to see a miracle. Oh, clap your hands under the Lord now. I can see it plain as day. She's sitting at the table and all of a sudden, years, years of grief, years of why not me, years of why is God treating me this way, years of it. It all of a sudden comes exploding out. She shoves her plate back. We know it was an ordeal. We don't know exactly how bad it got, but we do know that when Hannah had had enough, that her husband attempts to console her right there at the family meal, right there at Thanksgiving dinner. He says, oh, oh wait, wait, Hannah. Now, now, wait. Now, don't get upset. Now, now, you know that I love you. And, and listen to what he says. Listen, husbands, this is not a Father's Day message by any stretch of the imagination, but this is one of those examples you do not, uh, you do not follow. Elkanah says, oh, oh, I love you, girl. Don't you know I love you? And she said, yeah, I know I love you, but there's something I can't put up with anymore. <laughs> and you know what he says? He says to her, oh, honey, it's going to be all right. Aren't I better to you than ten sons? Do you want me to answer that? You talk about a trick question. Elkanah says, uh, there's some men in this church bold enough and dumb enough to say that. They'd say, oh, I'm all that and a bag of chips, honey. Don't you know? I'm better to you than ten boys. Hannah said, oh, I know you're good to me. And I know I got a pile of meat on my plate. And I know I'm loved by you and I'm the first in your heart. But I am tired of being barren. I am tired of being fruitless. I'm, oh, Come on, I'm preaching to somebody today. You're so miserable, but you're not provoked yet. But God has called me to this pulpit to get you provoked enough to say, I'm not going back there anymore. I'm done with that. I want my miracle. I need my blessing. Anybody feel that way? Do I have any desperate Hannahs in here that'll say, God, I'm not putting up with it anymore. I want to see my family saved. I want to see my city saved. Come on, clap your hands under the Lord. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, it's a reference suggesting the ten sons born to Jacob 
while Rachel was barren. Elkanah's using the old forefathers. Jacob had ten sons before Rachel, the woman he loved, had a child. And Elkanah's saying, I'm better to you than ten sons. Oh, shut up. You're not as hot as you think you are. Come on now. Maybe this is a good Father's Day message. Maybe we just went to bad to real good. Get over yourself, Elkanah. A reminder that there are some who have it worse than you, Hannah. You remember Rachel? That other wife had ten children before Rachel ever had a child. Somebody say amen. Speaking of children, aren't you glad they're here today? You got a living, moving example. That's what Hannah was missing. I said, that's what Hannah was missing. She was missing her little tyke running around the church. <laughs> she was missing getting to see him come out of Sunday school class with his little colored paper and saying, look what I drew today, Grandma. That's what she's missing. <laughs> and the Bible says she pushes her plate of steak back and says, I can't eat. I can't celebrate anymore. I'm going to the house of God. And the Bible says when she stumbled in that house, she wept in bitterness of soul. It says in bitterness of soul. That's a phrase that's used elsewhere to characterize psychological pain experienced by someone who is deprived of a child by death. In other words, she didn't have a child, but she experienced the pain of a mother who had lost a child. She stumbles in that house and says, since I haven't had one, I must have lost one somewhere. In case, in every case, it's used in Ruth, 2 Kings, Zechariah, Job, and Isaiah. The relief from that sort of psychological pain is never pictured in the Bible from coming as a human being. In other words, when you get to that point, nobody can help you but the Lord. Oh, is anybody hearing what the pastor's preaching today? There are times you're going to get to a place that nobody can say anything to help you. Nobody can counsel you out of it. I've got to have the Lord to help me here. Anybody ever been there? I said, anybody ever been there? I've got to have the Lord help me out of this. Come on, clap your hands unto Jesus right now. Got to have the Lord. Notice something else, and I hurry. Hannah's pain made her a theologian. While you're upset about it, while you're grieving over it, don't miss the point that Hannah's pain made her a theologian. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Thank you for reminding me of why I've had some pain because pain has a way of making you a theologian. She specifically addresses the Lord when she stumbles in the sanctuary. She makes this phrase, she states this. She specifically addresses somebody. She doesn't talk to Eli. She stumbles into the house of God and she uses this phrase, the Lord Almighty. It's in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 1. That really means the omnipotent deliverer of those in distress. The Lord Almighty. And we have already gone through centuries of biblical history. No character in the entire Bible before 1 Samuel 1 and before Hannah has ever used this term to address the Lord. She's the first one to go in the house of God and say, I know the God that knows how to deliver those that are in distress. In other words, her pain brought her a revelation. Her pain brought her a revelation of who God is. I don't know why you're going through what you're going through, but don't lose your vision of who God is. He, oh, he is able to do exceeding abundantly above all. That you I want to see him in a brand new revelation. 
like Abraham of old who comes victoriously off that mountain where the Lord has just saved his only child, Isaac. Abraham comes off of that mountain with a brand new revelation. Jehovah Jireh. Nobody ever called him that. You have to go through something to call him that. You have to go through something to call him that. You can't make up names about him when you don't ever go through anything. People that go through stuff can call him something nobody else can. Oh. People that go through things can talk to him like nobody else can talk to him. Could it be that a greater revelation of God to us personally is just around the corner from some of our greatest distresses? While our prayer in the prayer room is, Lord, I want to know you, we don't realize that some of our greatest distress is only in our lives to provoke us to come to know God in a greater way. She also recognized that a relationship with the Lord involves giving and not just taking. Oh, for that revelation. She goes into the sanctuary and she says, Lord God Almighty, I'm tired of this. I have no children. That woman's provoking me. Every one of her kids, when they have a birthday party, I want to grab the cake and throw it outside in the street. I'm sick of it. She says, Lord, I'll tell you what. If you give me, I don't need a table full. I just need one child. If you give me one child, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll bring him back here. <laughs> I'll bring him back here to the place of my commitment. And this is where he'll stay all the days of his life. I'll make a vow to you, God. It was an act without parallel for women in the Hebrew narrative. Nobody had ever done that. No woman had ever done this. And Hannah goes where nobody dared to go. She said, you know what? I know I don't have a good example, but I know a lot of men made vows and a lot of men made promises. But, but uh, she said, you know what? I'm going to be an equal opportunity vower. I'm going to vow a vow. Lord, if you give me a child. I don't know what Elkanah's doing during this time. I, I don't know what a husband does when the woman he loves leaves the Thanksgiving feast and runs off you just kind of make do oh she'll be alright she'll be back in a minute she just got to use the restroom I don't find where he's in there he's probably out there placating the rest of them saying you know what she's okay it'll be alright I've seen her get to this point before she's been upset before it'll be okay but Hannah just keeps on praying and the Bible says it catches the watchful eye of Eli the priest And it led him to an incorrect conclusion. You remember it? He watches her closely. And while he's busy watching her lips, he doesn't perceive her heart because he judges profoundly her spirituality to be intoxication. He says, you know what? This woman's drunk. He also... It must be noted that he didn't hear the Lord say anything. Hannah heard the Lord that day, but the priest didn't hear it. He thought she was drunk. How others perceive what is happening makes no difference. The preacher may not understand why you're standing in the altar weeping. Your friends may not understand your desperation, but it doesn't matter their opinion about it. Eli says, woman, you shouldn't come to the house of God this way. You're intoxicated. And in spite of that, look at verse 18. In spite of that, look at verse 18. And she said, oh no, let thine handmaid find grace in thy sight. So the woman went her way. Look, you know where she went? She went back to the table. She ate her portion. And look at her, her countenance was no more sad. 
Hannah left the sanctuary that day in a totally different way. Her example is a great example to us. She came so sad that Eli thought she was intoxicated. She came in so full of grief that she appeared to be drunk because of it. And though she had approached the Lord in the depths of her despondency, the Bible says she left and she was ready to eat and she was not sad any longer. Oh, for everybody in this church to leave the sanctuary that way. I said, oh, for the day when everybody comes in intoxicated with grief and they leave with the joy of the Lord. Come on, I don't, I don't know about the rest of you, but I come to lay down my burdens. I came to lay down my fear. I came to lay down my grief. I made up my mind. I'm leaving happier than I came in today. I, oh, I made up my mind. I'm leaving better. Oh, come on, somebody praise the Lord right now. Come on, somebody lift your voice right now. I don't know what you stumbled in here with, but God wants you to leave better. Sit down a minute. Nothing had changed. She didn't go in the temple and all of a sudden she was immaculately uh, impregnated. No, nothing had changed. She was still childless. The other wife still enjoying her steak gravy running down her mouth. Oh, wipe your mouth. Panina's got food all down her blouse. She goes right back to the table where the woman who the troubler is sitting and all her kids. But now she can go and eat her food and smile and Lord is good. I told him my heart. I've had a little talk with Jesus. It's going to be all right. Don't despise somebody's enjoyment of the meal God's blessed them with. I know you're struggling. I know you're fighting the good fight. But don't, don't despise the goodness of God in somebody else. Just say, you know what? I told the Lord about it. It's, it's going to be all right. Hey, my day's coming. My day's coming. Oh, hallelujah, my day's coming. <laughs> Hannah's able to go back and eat and join the celebration. Her countenance, the Bible says, is no longer sad. What made the difference? The sanctuary. <laughs> what made the difference? I went to the house of the Lord. Oh well. It's obvious. I tried to short, shorten this sermon, but it's obvious I'm gonna have to take the long route. Yeah. I'm reminded of another individual who came into the sanctuary this way. Asaph. Truly God is good to Israel. Everybody with a clean heart, all those good folks, he's good to them. But as for me, oh, my feet were slipping. My steps were gone. I was envious. I, I was envious of the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. When I saw there's no bands in their death, their strength is firm. They're not troubled as other men. They're not plagued like other people. Pride compasses them. They are fat with pride. They are violent. Their eyes stand out. They have more than their heart could ever wish. They're corrupt. They speak wickedly. They turn their voice against God and he keeps blessing them. I can't hardly take it. Their cup is full. They say, how does God even know? They're atheists. They don't even believe in a God. And their house is dripping with honey. 
These are the ungodly. They increase in riches. <laughs> and then he makes the statement staggering to me. Have I cleansed my hands? Have I cleansed my hands, my heart in vain? Have I washed my hands for no reason? Am I serving God and going to church? And is it never going to change? For all day long am I plagued? I'm chastened every morning when I get up. And if I say I'm going to tell God about it, when I'm going to offend God, I'll offend my generation of my children. When I thought about all of this, it's too painful. It's psychologically damaging for me. Until... I went into the sanctuary of God. And when I got in the sanctuary, when I got in the presence of the Lord, oh, I need to be in church. Oh, I said I need, to be, I need to be in church when I'm sick. I need to be in church when I'm not feeling well. I need to be in church when I'm grieving. I got to say it to you. Uh, Brother Gene, I, I don't think I'm going to make it today because we've been through a lot this week. I want to tell you the place I needed to be when I walked in my dad's condo and saw how he had hemorrhaged all over that place. Saw where he died on the kitchen floor. Saw nine empty liters of J&B Scotch whiskey either on the cabinet or in the trash can. I want to tell you where I needed to be that next Sunday. I didn't need to be in bed licking my wounds. I didn't need to be at my breakfast table having coffee saying, well, I'm just upset. It's going to take me a while. No, I need to get to the house of the Lord. I'm running. I got to get to the altar. I got to get to the place of prayer. I want to tell you this is where your help is. Oh, some of you are going through pain that God is your only help. And somebody has the audacity to say to me, we ought to not have an altar call. I want to tell you right now. I know this whole church ought to be an altar. On the same token, there's people that won't come up here because we don't have a literal altar. Not understanding that an altar is not necessarily a literal place. If you need a place, bring your chair. For that matter, this whole sanctuary ought to be an altar. But there ought to be a place where somebody that stumbled in today and doesn't know where ends meet and don't know what God's doing, you're in the right place today. I'm hurrying. You can be seated. Lord, forgive me. It's 12.01. You'll have to pay me overtime for this one. Hannah gives birth to Samuel. Samuel. The drumbeat of Samuel's life is found all through the scripture and it was this. The Lord was with Samuel. I can't tell you how many times the Bible says the Lord was with Samuel. <laughs> what mother? That's enough. I don't need 15 kids, but if the Lord's with my boy. Uh-huh. <laughs> From the moment of his conception through his entire life, the Bible, this is the drumbeat of his life. The Lord was with him. In fact, it's the only man in Scripture that the Bible says the Lord did not allow any of Samuel's words to fall to the ground. This was no accident of nature. It was the deliberate work of God. In fact, I want to give you a little picture into homiletics today. Some of you say, I wonder how pastor puts those long sermons together. They're not so long in my notes. But let me give you a little window into my sermon prep this morning. What usually happens with my notes is it's a stream of consciousness 
I'm reading verses, I'm writing what God puts on my heart, and that happens over a number of days. Sunday morning, I'll print it out, and I'll start cutting it, pasting it, and moving it. And this morning, when I'm moving those notes around it with my pen, I didn't, I didn't catch it until I got done writing it. I put my little dash in the notes where I was going to insert something, and I wrote this. Today, I put a little dash and said, insert the cause, the Lord. You know who caused her barrenness? You know why she was grieving? You know why she was upset? You know why she was mad? You know who the cause of it was? The Lord. It was staggering to me when I saw it in my own handwriting. He's the cause. For the Lord had shut up her womb. Anybody hearing what I'm saying? Yeah. What barrenness in my life caused by the Lord is only there to get me to my miracle to a greater revelation of God and his power and his love and his faithfulness what barrenness am I cursing that really is God's way of getting me desperate desperate Let me insert this here also. I've seen some of you get there. Yeah. As your pastor, I've seen you hit desperate times. I remember services you were so desperate. It didn't matter what was going on in the service. No. You didn't care if your friends were watching. No. Uh-uh. I could even show you right now what you were doing. It sticks in my mind indelibly. You were desperate. You were not going to be moved. It didn't matter what anybody did. I don't care if it's offering time. I need a miracle. I want to tell you why I'm preaching this today because some of you have lost that desperation. God has brought a miracle in your life and you're not desperate anymore. See, God puts some trouble in our lives when we get satisfied. And the only reason it's there is to get you stirred up enough The real sting is the Lord had shut her womb. The Lord had abundantly opened the door of the other wife's womb. God had blessed the other wife. Listen. God blessed the other wife to provoke Hannah. He's not trying to make you jealous. He's not trying to make you mad because somebody else got their miracle. No, he wants you to get desperate. Yeah, I could call him up here right now. He'd be ready. He'd be instant in season, out of season. I could get Lester up here right now with this microphone and he'd tell you the night he got delivered was the night he was desperate. I don't know why God took him down that long road. (laughs) But thank God for the barrenness. Because my barrenness got me so upset that I would not settle for it any longer. Oh, I I, I know some of you's got trouble that you can't even describe. But don't let it drive you away from God. Let it bring you into the sanctuary with a fresh determination. Look, I'm closing. It's amazing to me. I looked at this verse. It says, the Lord had shut up her womb and her adversary also provoked her. 
It's as if both of them are provoking her. The Lord shut her womb and her adversary also. That's why I'm preaching today. There's a blessing of barrenness. I bet after the prodigal son got home and got his change of clothes and got his shoes back on and got the ring on his finger after that long journey, I bet if you could hear his testimony, he would say, thank God for the day I got so hungry. I was never more hungry than when I got to that pig pen and ran out of food. I was desperate. Thank God for that moment that brings us to desperation. The barrenness that says, you know what, I've just accepted the fact that this is not going to be a miracle. Some of you have accepted your brokenness and accepted your barrenness and you've just said, well, that's just the way it's always going to be. No, God is trying to get you to a point of desperation. Lord, I'm tired of empty altars. I'm tired of people not getting the Holy Ghost. I'm tired of my family being lost. I'm hungry. Oh, clap your hands unto the Lord. The story has more depth than we can reach in a few minutes. The catalyst was a provocation. Getting somebody to such a point of misery <laughs> that they will not be satisfied or content. Getting somebody to such a point of misery that they say, I'm not putting up with this anymore. I will not be categorized by my condition. I will not allow my friends, my family, nor my adversaries to keep me silent anymore. I know there's more than I've got for my life and for the kingdom of God. And I know I'm mad and hurt and wounded and upset, but I'm going to the house of God and God's going to change this situation. Come on. Come on. Come on. I know you... <laughs> You've, you've called your wife and said, come on, let's go counseling. And you've called your husband and said, come on, let's, let's get this. No, why don't you stumble into the house of God and say, oh no, not anymore. I'm not putting up with it any longer. This is the day it changes. And there's a reason for all that grief and heartache pain, the stuff you've shoved down for years, you know why it's there? Lord, let it be there. You know why? So that you'd get provoked. You'd get mad enough to say, I'm tired of living this way. Are you hearing what your pastor's saying today? Because the fact of the matter is I'm preaching to people today just like Hannah who have settled Settled. Said, you know what? This is a broken situation. I'm a broken person and it's never going to get any better. Oh no. God only let that happen so that you could be provoked. See, nothing changed in Hannah until she got tired of it. Yeah. It's always going to be this way. I guess I'll just have to live with it. No. The blessed you, God has blessed you with barrenness so that at a point you'd, you'd refuse to live with it any longer. You can live the rest of your life mad, hurt, wounded, upset, grieving. <laughs> You're feeling these feelings for much higher purpose than just misery. God doesn't want you to be miserable. The choice is in your hands, Hannah. How many times have you dealt with a situation whose only purpose is to provoke you? It's to get you to an altar to say, God, I've had enough. I'm laying my burdens down here. I want you to stand right now. And the, as the people of God begin to pray, I want you to reach over and connect with somebody right now. I believe God's speaking to somebody, somebody full of pain today, somebody full of grief today. Come on, pray for that person on your left and your right.
Come on. Come on, I'm talking to men that you got to a place of desperation. You needed a miracle and you got desperate. Come on, where, where did you lose that? Where is that gone in you? Provoked? Yeah, I'm provoked. I'm not living here anymore. More importantly, I'm not dying here. This will not be the last chapter of my record. No, I'm going to the house of God. Come on. Come on, if the Spirit's calling you, I'm opening the altar right now. There's some already here. I'm opening the altar now for somebody who's, who's desperate, who says, God, I need you today. I need you now. Come on. Come on. Come on. It's going to change right now. Take that step of faith that says, Lord, I'm desperate. Where are you, Hannah? Come on. You've just been smiling while everybody else is getting blessed. God's calling you today. Come on, there's a blessing to barrenness. And it's only a blessing when it provokes you to go to the house of God in desperation. Oh, come on. I'm coming. I'm stumbling up. I need you, Lord.